Good morning, I'm Anna Palmer. And I'm Jake Sherman. And welcome to The Daily Punch, brought to you by Punchbowl News. It's Monday, March 13th, 2023. Let's get into the mix. Here are your Washington headlines of the day. Number one, we've got the latest on SVB and Washington. Number two, we've got a scoop. The Senate is going to vote on repealing the AUMF. And number three, what to watch on the investigations front. All right, Jake, let's get into it. You, alongside our top uh, financial services reporter, Brendan Peterson, have been covering all of the twists and turns this weekend about Silicon Valley Bank and Washington's efforts to quell all of the concerns around the bank failure. Uh, Don't call it 2008, but Washington is certainly worried about the banks. Yeah, this is a it's been a crazy weekend. Um, the Silicon Valley Bank, as we all know, failed last week. The FDIC uh, snapped it up and um, closed it down. Uh, it's the basic the basic gist of it. But yesterday, uh, Janet Yellen, Jay Powell and Marty Gruenberg, the chair of the FDIC, announced that deposits of Silicon Valley Bank would be fully protected regardless of whether they were insured. Remember, the FDIC insures deposits of up to $250,000. After that, um, those deposits are uninsured. More of ni- more than 90%, Anna, of Silicon Valley Bank's deposits were uninsured. Remember, like a lot of VC funds, a lot of um, uh, startups were in Silicon Valley Bank uh, because of its kind of intertwined nature of the... Um, with Silicon Valley and um, the startup culture. But yesterday, they also, that's Powell, Gruenberg, and Yellen, also announced that Signature Bank, $110 billion bank in New York, would be closed by state regulators, and uh, depositors would be covered under a similar systemic risk exemption, similar, obviously, to Silicon Valley Bank. Um, And the FDIC has now kind of set up another shell entity to uh, uh, Signature Bank. And the third thing they announced, basically, is that the Fed and Treasury is setting up a emergency liquidity facility so banks could, could, um, uh, these banks could continue to exist. Now, um, interestingly enough, the the government is allowing these banks to value their assets at par. So that's bonds and other things like that. Valuing them at par essentially means that um, these bonds are able, they're able to borrow against the bonds at their, what would be their fully realized value. So if it's a 10-year bond, you don't have to value it at what it is today, but what it would be in 10 years. Uh, that's a huge, um, a huge uh, advantage to these these small institutions. Um, so, what do we where do what, what do we take from this? Um, this isn't two thousand and eight, as Brendan says, but these small regional banks. Uh, the fear here is that there's social contagion, right? So people pulled out from Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, similar small banks like First Republic, which is getting as as of now five o'clock in the morning, getting uh, is down significantly in pre market trading. That people just start pulling their money from these banks and go to big banks because big banks like Citi and Truist and all these other huge institutions are subject to very 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 stringent uh, uh, regulatory climate. And remember, we we. we that we came up with, not we didn't come up with it, but it, but the government came up with this too big to fail idea. These banks, these huge institutions 
are um, uh, can't fail because they're just too intertwined with the financial system. So this is going to be a big story for us at, at Punchbowl News because, uh, first of all, Brendan is a rock star financial services reporter, and there's just a this just opens up a whole set of new questions, right? Because um, number one, what a lot of people are saying is, why do these things exist? Why do these rules exist for banks? If they get in trouble, then the the government finds a way to get them to get them out of trouble. That's number one. Number two, there's all sorts of um, uh, questions that Republicans have raised about capital requirements being too high. Banks are being forced to hold too much money um, in their coffers. So I, it's just th- this is going to be a big moment for um, banking policy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when you look at it, right, I think there's there's kind of like two separate things that we're talking about. One, which is the macroeconomic issues of um, you know, what happens just, you know, in terms of the, 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 the kind of the fabric of this country of people feeling like, are my securities, is my money safe? Just as a basic principle in, you know, a mid-sized bank um, that, that is part of their community, right? I, I grew up in a really small right. community. The small banking system was, was, was where people, everybody put their money. And, you know, d- does that continue in six months from now? Do people feel like that is that is it that that's safe, right? That they put their their own personal money in, and I think clearly what the government's trying to do right now is shore up the concept of people's confidence that when they bank at a smaller bank that isn't one of those too big to fail banks that they they should have confidence in that the question is whether or not the public actually feels that we will have to see. The second part of that, which I think you you rightly note, is the concept of what does this mean for the overall banking uh, policy framework, right? We haven't had banks fail since two thousand and eight, and so in a, in a large way, in a in a in a right. in, in a way. That Bank, to be clear, banks had there have been banks yes. that failed since two thousand and eight, yes. but not 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 of this size. Correct. So so in that sense, the point I think will really be is. What does, I think there's going to be a huge lobbying battle, obviously, because there's going to be the effort to come down um, to say, hey, like, why why are there different capital requirements for a mid or a smaller bank versus a larger bank? And, you know, as you rightly point out, you we even up until last week, you have Senator Tim Scott pressuring and, and questioning um, who is the Republican top Republican on the Senate Banking Committee sending a letter to the Fed with several colleagues warning the central bank against, quote unquote, quote, unjustly increasing capital requirements. Um, you know, I don't know how well that's going to going to to kind of age in terms of that letter. But also, you know, just just that fight over capital requirements is going to be something that we're going to be watching really closely. Yeah, you 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 make you make a good point. There's the immediate why did this thing fail and what the hell happened here, and then there's the larger questions about bank policy, which is something that's going to be. And by the way, it's not like bank policy ever is off the front burner. It's never. I mean, there's a lot of people who spend their entire career on bank policy, um, but there's the um, there's the immediate triage of this situation, and then the the longer term, the longer tail stuff. All right, let's go on to the number two story of the morning. The Senate, we've got a scoop, is going to take up the AMUF repeal this week. That, of course, is 
the legislation to repeal the Iraq War Authorization, setting up final passage around the 20th anniversary of the George W. Bush era invasion. Yes, this is a um, this is a big moment. Uh, Andrew DiCiderio, our our very good Senate uh, lead Senate reporter, report, uh, has been reporting on this ad nauseum. This has been a um, it's been an issue for a long time. I mean, the 1991 and 2002 authorizations of military force have been in place, according to critics, for way too long. But now this process, which has been led by Tim Kaine and uh, Todd Young, is actually heading to the floor. I don't think the House will um, just take this up and pass it. I mean, the, the House is controlled by Republicans. McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker, is going to defer to his hawks on this, uh, undoubtedly, 100%. Now, could this get attached to an NDAA, that annual Pentagon policy bill? Yes. Uh, I I would there's going to be an effort. And by the way, Kevin McCarthy is all about amendments. He says, open the floor, open the floor. Um, Great. If you open the floor here, you're going to get um, you're going to probably get a um, uh, this attached to the NDAA and passed. I mean, it's just going to happen, I would imagine. So uh, the AUMFs from 1991 and 2002 are are going to pass the Senate and we'll have to see what happens in the House. Uh, there's going to be a cloture vote this week, probably Thursday, uh, and um, that will lead to a final passage vote probably next week. All right, something we will be tracking very closely. Uh, let's move on to the number three story of the morning. As always, as mo- as it's Monday, we have our investigation tracker. Max Cohen uh, pulls together. We need Anna. We need some theme music here. Oh, I like that For idea. Investigate. Right, we're gonna have to, yeah, we'll have to come back to you next Monday and maybe we'll have something uh, that we can be playing uh, with ominous to, you know, kind of signals of what's ahead. Uh, but our very own Max Cohen uh, notes the House is out this week, but the GOP-led investigations all continue to chug away during the recess. We've got some letters uh, letter deadlines, as well as uh, some letter updates here uh, as well. What say you, Jake? Yeah, uh, a lot of stuff going on. Um, James Comer, who yesterday said, intimated at least, that the uh, the failure of Silicon Valley Bank was because of woke, because it was woke, which has nothing to do uh, with why the bank failed. Uh, and Brad Wenstrup have letters to FBI Director Chris Ray and Tony Blinken about COVID-19. Uh, the um, Jonathan Davidson, the Treasury's uh, Treasury Department's Assistant Secretary for Legislative Affairs, will sit down for a transcribed interview at Oversight in part in in the Joe and Hunter, uh, sorry Hunter and James Biden investigation. Uh, a whole host of letters that uh, uh, Max is keeping track of. Check it out in the newsletter this morning. And uh, just wanted to flag, Jake, very exciting. We have our third profile of the leaders launching tomorrow. That is going to feature Representative Amelia Sykes, the Democrat from Ohio. Sykes spoke to us about the role of Northeast Ohio in reviving manufacturing in the United States and new opportunities for technological innovation in the state's egg sector. You can also check out our past two profiles on Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt and Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens. Uh, if you go to our website at punchbowl.news. With that, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. The best way for folks to find out about The Daily Punch is to for you to share it on social media, tell your friends, and you can also get so much more for, from our free morning newsletter 
at punchbowl.news. Have a great day and stay safe.